Heath had officially joined our church last week. I wasn't surprised by that because he had told me uh, the week before that he was going to be joining, and uh, he had been uh, searching out God's will for the last several months, uh, you know, trying out different churches and praying through that process and uh, not taking that lightly at all. And uh, I appreciate his... Uh, uh, his earnestness in seeking God's will, and the Lord led him to our church. And one of the reasons uh, I believe God led him here is because he has a desire to utilize his giftedness. And um, so when <laughs> Rhonda said uh, as soon as he joined, she, she like she said, she invited him to come and be part of this this worship team. And and uh, I believe Sherry was going to do that as well, but you know she wasn't feeling well this this week either. And maybe maybe somebody else out here. You know, would like to utilize your gift for singing and help to uh, lead us in some some new songs and some creative ways uh, that we can uh, we can praise God together. See uh, Rhonda and let her know about that, and uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing others helping us enhance our worship service uh, through the gift of music. Let me invite you to open your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, Mark 13, verses 32 through 37. We have been Working our way through Mark's gospel, we've been in chapter 13 for several weeks, and we've come to the conclusion of our study through chapter 13 this morning. We've had some amazing worship services uh, over the past several weeks. Uh, in fact, uh, this last month uh, in August, we had our highest uh, worship attendance average for the month since I have been here as your pastor in over seven years. So God did some amazing things last month. We had uh, one service a couple weeks ago. We had two baptisms. We had one of our largest crowds uh, ever for a morning worship service. And it was amazing what God did, especially in light of the fact that I overslept by two hours that morning. You know, uh, I was anticipating a wonderful service and all excited about that. Went to bed with this uh, wonderful sense of anticipation in my heart and in my mind. And then uh, laying there just, just sleeping hard Sunday morning and suddenly I heard Kylie's voice say, Mommy, Daddy. And I opened my eyes and it was bright inside so I knew the sun had been up for a while. And I turned around looked at the clock and I was like, Oh my goodness, it's 9 o'clock. And I usually get up at 7 on Sundays, and so uh, we jumped up out of bed in a panic and uh, tried to, uh, to hurry up and, and actually made it here at, at a decent time. And, and uh, you know, as, as much as you think of your pastor, you know, I am human. Uh, I, know, I know oversleeping never happens to any of you all, but it happened to me uh, on that Sunday, and I'm glad that Kylie came in and, and woke us up when she did, you know. Uh, what had happened, though, I fell victim to this uh, contraption known as the snooze button. You all know what that is. You know, when your alarm goes off, you have the opportunity either to turn it off and get up or hit that snooze button and lay there for a few more minutes. And uh, when I was younger, I'd, I'd never used a snooze button. Alarm went off, I'd get up. And then one day, I made the mistake of trying that out. And I was hooked ever since. And so that morning, instead of Instead of hitting snooze, I, I turned it off, thinking I was hitting snooze, and, and I overslept, you know. So if you've never used a snooze button before, it's, you know, don't. Yeah, it, it's like crack, you know. You get hooked on it, there's no, there's no going back. So, so don't start with the snooze button, you know. And Jesus tells his disciples in a text this morning, Jesus tells his disciples, you know, stop it. Stop it with the snoozing because he's coming back. And he gives a warning 
that's appropriate, not just for his disciples, but there's a warning in there for all of us today. Be ready. Be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Always be ready. Now, if you're here this morning within the sound of my voice and you are lost, you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then by all means, the fact that he is coming again means you need to be ready and you need to give your life to Christ while you have the time. And as Christians, we emphasize that so much to lost people. Jesus is coming. You need to be ready. But this warning that Jesus issues in this text is to his disciples. Be ready. So if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, there are some things that you and I need to be doing to always be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me at this time, if you are able to. We do this in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 13, starting this morning at verse 32. And these words were written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we come to your word this morning, we do so in reverence, because this is your word, your inspired word. It is true and trustworthy. It is powerful. It is authoritative, and as we read these words penned by Mark from the lips of Christ, I pray that we would take these things very seriously. As disciples, we are to follow and obey the Master, and the Master has told us to be alert, for He is coming again. Father, if there is somebody here today that is lost, who has never trusted in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, I pray, convict them of their sin at this time they would come to Christ before it is too late. And Heavenly Father, inspire us as believers this morning to, to tune our ears into your voice and what you are saying through this text and how it applies to us in our lives even today. Father, we come with the expectation that you will speak. Empower us, I pray God, to hear and obey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So mentioned in the beginning, we have come to the end of chapter 13. That chapter is known as the Olivet Discourse. Gets its name from the fact Jesus is teaching, uh, sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he is telling his disciples that the temple will soon be destroyed. And his disciples begin to ask him questions about that. And as Jesus answers their questions regarding the signs of when that event will take place, he begins to use that that historical event of the fall of the temple as a symbol, a metaphor for what will happen on a global scale at the end of times. 
And Jesus begins to, to tell them all these events and how they apply to us even today when we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, His second coming. And, and He wraps this study up here, this, this intensive study through the end of, of chapter 13. And we come to the end and we come to His last words. And the last word, the final say on any uh, discourse is always very important. It's emphatic. He wants to end with this instruction. We also see throughout this chapter, and especially in these few verses today, there is some repetition. There is a theme that he is driving home repeatedly. And there again, there is emphasis for us as we study this chapter. And if we are always to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, there are three things, according to this passage, that you and I need to do. First of all, reject foolish speculation. Foolish speculation. In other words, don't get caught up in trying to make predictions or in following those who make those predictions of saying, well, I've, I've studied the text of Daniel and the text of Revelation and I've looked at historical events and I have pinpointed the return of Jesus Christ is going to be on this specific day. You know, don't fall victim to that kind of foolish speculation. Why is that? Well, first of all, verse 32 shows us the time is set. It is said, he says, but of that day or hour, that specific day, that specific hour, and even down to the specific minute and second, it is on God's calendar when that day and when that hour will be. God has already put it down on his planner, so to speak, and he knows human history is moving and moving quickly towards that day and that hour. It is set. It is not fluid. God knows when that day and when that hour is. But at the same time, that time is secret. Jesus says in verse 32, of that day or hour, no one knows. No one. That means there is no human being alive on this earth who has ever been alive on this earth who knows when that last day and when that last hour will be. No matter how convincing they are, no matter uh, how emphatic they are, or how intelligent they might seem in their presentation, they do not know when that specific day will be because Jesus says no one knows. Not only, not only no humans, but not even the angels in heaven. No angelic being will ever show up and say, hey, look, I've got the scoop. Here is the day. Here is the hour. If that ever happens to you, you know that's a false angel because Jesus says they don't know. And they are in heaven and they don't know. And then he goes one step further and he says, nor the Son. And so in that we have a theological issue that we need to wrestle with and people have been wrestling with for, for 2,000 years ever since Jesus muttered those words. Jesus says to his disciples that he does not know himself when that day will be so the issue is now wait a minute jesus is god and god is omniscient that means god knows all things and then here's jesus saying he does not know when that day and that time will be the answer to this dilemma comes in the fact of studying the the doctrine of the incarnation in other words what took place and what was so significant about Jesus becoming man? 
In John chapter 1, we see the Word, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became one of us. And Paul goes even further than that in Philippians 2 that said, even though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider it something to be grasped, something to be held on tightly, but yet he emptied himself. In other words, Jesus did not cease being God, but he let go of those privileges of being God, and he came to earth, took on the form of a man, a, a servant, and we read that in Philippians chapter 2. So in other words, when Jesus became one of us, he was 100% God, became also 100% man, letting go of his privileges, his prerogatives, including omniscience of knowing all things, and he limited himself, so much so that he no longer even knew the day or the hour. Now there's some debate about, well, does he know now? But we don't know for certain, but we do know he is still human. He's still God. But he's limited himself spatially. He's not omnipresent. He, is a, he, he has a body. He was risen in bodily form, and so if he's limited spatially, perhaps he's still limited with his knowledge as well. But nevertheless, the words of Jesus to his disciples in that moment, Jesus says, I don't even know in that moment when that day or that hour will be. Then he says, but, verse 32, but the Father alone. Jesus tells his disciples, I don't know when that day is, and I'm not freaking out about it because the Father knows. And Jesus is basically as an example in human flesh for his disciples and for us saying, even though I don't know the future all the way, I don't know how all of these events are going to work out, there's one thing I do know that my Father in heaven is in control and I trust him. Here is Jesus with complete confidence in his Father. The disciples are freaking out, asking Jesus about the temple. It's going to be destroyed. Jesus, when? How? Give us a sign. And they want to know. And Jesus says, hey, look, I don't even know when the day or the hour of the end of times is going to be, but I do know this. The Father knows. The Father knows. The time is secret. Jesus trusts the Father, and so should we. But also, verse 33 shows us the time is sudden. Jesus says, take heed. Pay attention to this. Keep on the alert. Why? For you do not know when the appointed time will come. You do not know when that time is. That specific time, that will come suddenly. Jesus tells his disciples, you don't know. And because you don't know, you need to keep on the alert. You need to be prepared because that time will come and it will come without warning. Some of the events Jesus has been prophesying in this chapter, he says, you know, watch these signs. When you see the abomination of desolation, then you will know. But then when he comes to the second coming, he says, look, that time will come, and it will come suddenly. Therefore, keep alert. Stay watchful. Because when he comes, there will be no more time left. 
For those who are not saved, when that moment comes, it's over. There's no more opportunity, no more chance to know that you are right with God. It will be too late. That time is sudden. You know, human history has been filled with a lot of false speculation dealing with the end of times. A lot of, a lot of false predictions. As I talked about earlier, there are people that try to pinpoint that day and that time, and there have been many that have come and gone and have been wrong. And those types of false predictions are hurtful to the Christian faith because it makes us lose credibility in the eyes of a lost and watchful world. But those who try to predict those dates and those times are also doing harm to those who are lost because it gives this false assurance of, well, if that day is going to be next year, I've got a full year left before I've got to do anything. I've got all this time that I can do whatever I want to do, and I've got plenty of time to get right with God because that day is not coming for another year or two years or ten years or whenever that day might be. Don't get caught up that kind of foolish speculation because you will hurt yourself and you will hurt those who also need to come to Christ as well reject foolish speculation we also need to render faithful service knowing that he is coming should motivate us to do the work that he has left for us to do we see Jesus give a parable here in verses 34 through 36. And in this parable, we learn about the master's absence. He says in verse 34, It is like a man away on a journey. Now we have in this parable this idea of this guy who owns this house, and he's leaving. But his leaving is not meant to be permanent, is it? It's a fellow who's going on a journey. He's not relocating permanently. He's merely going on a journey that's temporary, and at some point in time, he's coming back. That's the essence of the story, isn't it? We have in this a master and his absence that is, that is only temporary. And that gives us an illustration about Jesus and his absence, about his going away. His intention is to, at some point in time, come back. The master's absence. And in that, we also learn about the master's authority in verse 34. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house, the house belongs to him, and putting his slaves, those slaves also belong to him, and leaving them his house and putting his slaves in charge, literally delegating his authority to his servants, assigning to each one his task. In other words, these servants were supposed to conduct the master's affairs while he was away. The homeowner says, I'm leaving. You guys are in charge while I'm gone. Take care of the place. Here's what you've got to do. He assigns to each one their specific task with the assumption that they will be obedient. He gives his authority to his servants and says, you're in charge, but you need to represent my best interests while I'm away. 
And he goes even further to that, and he says, and he also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Doorkeeper, I'm leaving. Here's your job. Stay alert. The doorkeeper. And it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Just a few verses back, Jesus talks about the fact that when you see these things, recognize, verse 29, that he is near, right at the door. And now he's telling his disciples the story about the doorkeeper. Jesus is near right at the door, and he tells the doorkeeper, you're in charge of this door. Also in Scripture, we learn in John chapter 10 that Jesus says he is the door, that no one comes to the Father unless they come through him. So if we kind of put these things together, what Jesus is telling his disciples is, I'm leaving, I'm giving you guys my authority, represent my will on earth as it is in heaven. I am the door, you are now the doorkeeper, and so your responsibility is to lead others to come through this door. And no one comes through this door apart from me. In other words, share the gospel. While I'm gone, here's what I want you to do. Tell other people the good news. Because one day I'm coming back. When I come back, there's no more going in that door for those who are lost. That's the assignment. That's, in essence, the, the, the nutshell of what we are to be doing as believers and as a church. While the Master is away, we are conducting His business, we are watching the door, and we are trying to bring as many through that door while they still have the opportunity. The job of the church, evangelism. And each one has their task. Each servant has a job to do, a part to play in this household. Interestingly too, the New Testament calls the church the household of faith, the family of God. We all have a part to play. And he has assigned to each one their task with the assumption that he has the authority and we are to obey. Now, how do we know this parable is about the disciples and about us? Well, we go on to see in verse 35 and 36 the master's arrival. Verse 35, therefore, don't pass therefore till you remember what it's therefore. In light of this parable about this master leaving, giving his servants charge, saying, be on the alert. Therefore, because of that story, be on the alert for you, disciples, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In other words, this, this parable is about him leaving and his disciples staying on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house. Okay. That parable, Jesus explains it. It's about him leaving and coming back, but in the meantime, his servants have work to do. And they need to be on the alert and not be snoozy because he's coming back. He says, you don't know when, it's going to, when the master is going to come, whether it's evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, the, the four watches of the, of the Roman night and by the way those watches come back in as this passion narrative unfolds here in the next couple chapters 
It's interesting how Mark weaves that in. You don't know when it's going to happen in verse 36 in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. In other words, what are you going to be doing when Jesus comes back? You don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen perhaps when you least expect it. What is he going to find you doing should he return? Whether that be today, tomorrow, next week, next year, ten years from now, what will you be doing? What will he find you doing on that day at that hour? Is he going to find you working for the Master? Is he going to find you doing the task that he issued you to do? Is he going to find you keeping watch at that door? Is he going to find you working for his best interests and for his kingdom's benefit? Or is he going to find you selfishly promoting your own agenda, seeking your own will? Is he going to find you living in sin? when he returns it's motivation to do what we're supposed to be doing have you ever got caught standing around at work by your supervisor the old saying you got time to lean you got time to clean I don't know how many times I've heard that I remember one specific time and I was working at Lowe's here in Winchester back when it was in the old building and I was standing there talking to a buddy of mine, and he had already informed uh, everybody that he was going to be transferring to another store pretty soon. So he and I were standing there talking. I don't remember what we were talking about. And suddenly the store manager walks around the corner right into the aisle where we were just standing there talking. Kind of gives us this look like, you need to get back to work. You know, and he walks off, and my buddy's like, man, you feel bad the store manager just caught us standing here doing nothing? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I don't. I'm leaving. Ha, <laughs> ha. You know, <laughs> when Jesus comes back, is he going to find you just standing around, just talking, wasting time on the clock when you got work to be doing? Render faithful service because the Master's coming. We don't know when he's coming, but when he comes, he's coming suddenly, and you got work to do. Render faithful service. Finally, you need to respect his final statement. Final statement. He summarizes what's the Christian responsibility? What's the disciple to do in light of all of this chapter? Because he has talked for, for 36 verses in this chapter about the temple being destroyed, about watching the signs, about not freaking out, about earthquakes, natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars and persecutions and, and all these things what's the disciple to do what am I to do what are you to do in light of all this chapter dealing with the end of time the second coming and all of this stuff what's the final word well he issues a verbal command in verse 37 he says, what I say to you. In other words, Jesus has, Jesus has spoken. This is his word. What he is saying carries his authority. What I say to you. Everything that we have just read, 
the Word of God. True, trustworthy, authoritative. It is His message, His command. What I say to you. We serve a God who speaks, a God who reveals His intentions, a God who reveals His instructions. What I say to you. This is the final word on the matter by the authority of His Word. A verbal command, a universal command. He says, what I say to you, disciples, second person plural, those four guys that were standing there with Him on the Mount of Olives, He says, what I say to you, I say to all. He says, what I say to you, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it applies to your fellow disciples. The other eight guys, what I say to you, I'm saying to them as well. Even though they're not here, I'm saying it to them as well. You need to communicate this to them. And Mark, in writing this, is saying these words of Jesus to his audience. Jesus is for God's what I say to you. I'm saying to Mark's audience that he is writing these words too under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying to you for God's applies to Mark's intended audience. And because Mark has written these words down and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God has preserved these words for 2,000 years, these are the words to all of his disciples of all places, of all ages, 2,000 years later, here in Pilot View in Clark County, Kentucky. What Jesus says to those four guys, He says to us. He says to you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. It's a universal command. It's not just to those guys. It's to all of us. An authoritative command from the lips of Jesus Himself he says this to you. What does he say? Verse 37 ends with a continual command. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. It is a present tense imperative. It's a command. Present tense means it's something that doesn't just happen once and you're done. You know, clean your room. Clean it and it's done. Clean your room. Keep it clean. <laughs> Jesus tells them, He tells us, keep on the alert continually. Not just once, not just twice. So, well, you know, I was on the alert the other day. I'm good. I can slack a snooze. No. Keep on the alert continually. From the lips of Jesus Christ Himself. Because he's coming back, we don't know when he's coming back. He's given us a job to do. Keep on the alert always. All of us, constantly, be mindful of that fact. The Master will one day return. Be on the alert. And he might sound like a broken record in this chapter because he's repeated this several times. And many different ways. In verse 9, he says, Be on your guard. Verse 23, But take heed. Verse 33, Take heed. Keep on the alert. Verse 35, Therefore, be on the alert. Verse 37, Be on the alert. Repetition. 
over and over again. The final word, be on the alert. A command from Christ, a continual command, keep staying on the alert. In light of all of this knowledge about the second coming of Jesus, the one thing He wants you and I to get down pat, stay alert. If you get nothing else out of this chapter, if you read this, you're like, wow, my head's swimming, I don't understand all this, uh, it's, it's, it freaks me out, just stay alert. That's what He wants you to do. In giving this information, He just wants to say to you, be ready. Be ready. Stay alert. Don't lose sight of that goal. Because He's coming back. Stay busy. Be ready. Always be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. If you're lost, you're living on borrowed time. You're rolling the dice. You don't know when that moment will be. It might be here in just a few minutes. You don't know how much time you got. Don't gamble with eternity. Get right with God now. Give your life to Christ. Understand you're a sinner and you stand condemned before a holy God and there is nothing you can do to change that but Christ has done it all for you. He has paid it all for you. It is finished. Trust in His work on your behalf. Just surrender to His authority. Be clean by the blood of Christ from the inside out. Surrender to His Lordship and be saved while you have the opportunity. If you are a Christian, be ready. Be ready. Don't let the Lord find you doing something you shouldn't be doing when He comes back. The second coming of Christ is a central tenet of the Christian faith. In other words, what does it mean to be a Christian? There are all these things that it means, but one thing it means is you believe Christ is coming again. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do believe that Christ is coming again because He said so. The delay in His second coming, it's been 2,000 years since He spoke these words. The delay might cause complacency for Christians might just kind of try to coast. His word for you is work. Work! There's jobs to be done. There are assignments to be fulfilled. Don't let the delay lull you into a sense of complacency. That's the devil's trick. Stay alert. If you're not alert, you're disobedient. When you disobey God, it's called sin. A lack of, a, of awareness and alertness spiritually is sin. The delay may cause complacency. The delay may cause doubt and anxiety and fear, especially in the light of suffering. Well, Christ has promised He's coming back. When He comes back, He's fixing everything. But in the meantime, I'm hurting. Physically, I'm hurting. Financially, I'm hurting. Emotionally, relationally, I'm hurting. Where is he at? And that delay may cause fear and anxiety. But Christ, immediately after speaking these words, we read in verse, or actually in the very next chapter, 14 and 15, the crucifixion story. He is about to be betrayed and arrested and mocked and beaten 
and scourged and crucified and killed. And right before those events take place, Jesus tells his disciples, I don't know when the end time's coming, but my father does. And in the meanwhile, i got work to do, and that work includes a cross. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. So the delay in the second coming of Christ should not cause us to have fear and anxiety, especially in light of suffering, because Jesus knew suffering was coming and he still trusted in the plan and the will of his Father. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's coming again. In the meanwhile, there's suffering, but don't let that deter you from the will and the work of the Father. Jesus didn't. And again, he's our example. We follow in his footsteps make the pathway glow we will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go and sometimes they lead to a cross and Jesus trusted his father so when it comes to thinking through these matters of the end times and the second coming and and all these events unfolding we need to replace curiosity with contentment Because if Jesus is our example, we don't see Jesus here trying to speculate and and draw out charts and maps and unfolding all these things. We see Jesus saying, nobody knows but the Father. In the meantime, do what you've got to do. Jesus is content. He's not curious about the future. He's content with the Father. He's our example. So we read all of these things. We know God is in control. We're not. And, and it's scary because we don't know where we're going or how things are going to get there. And, and we don't have all these things on an itinerary right before us. But what we do know, Jesus said, I'm coming back again. Therefore, stay alert. Do what you've got to do. Do the master's business. And if Jesus was accurate in predicting the fall of the temple then what does that say about his prediction about the second coming? If he can be trusted in predicting the fall of the temple and then he telescopes that to the end times and the second coming, if he can be trusted in that event, he can be trusted in what he's, going to, what he's saying about the second coming too. The final message for his disciples in all of that, stay alert. His final message to you and I, what I say to you, I say to all, keep on the alert. Let's stay obedient. Always be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. This might be your last opportunity. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks truth and gives assurance that even though we are curious by nature, even though we like to know what's going to happen next and when, even though it's a source of frustration for us when we, when we don't know and, and we want to know, Lord, help us to follow in the steps of Christ who said, I don't know. But the Father knows. 
And I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to die on a cross because I love you and I want you to be saved. Father, help us to stay content with you. You're on your throne. No matter how long the delay lasts, that day and that hour is coming. And the only way that we can be prepared is to surrender our hearts to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit come in and change us from the inside out. Give us a a spiritual heart transplant that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, but we are made alive in Christ. By grace, we are saved. Lord, we appeal to your mercy today. Father, reassure our hearts that we are ready for that moment. And if we are not, God, lead us to that sweet surrender, the only way we can be saved, trusting in the work and the person of Jesus. Father, this time of decision has come. I pray that we would all respond accordingly. Whatever it is you have led us to do, whatever you want us to do today as a result of this message, I pray that you would find us obedient servants. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we sing this hymn of invitation. If God has laid it on your heart to respond, perhaps for salvation, rededication, church membership, baptism, whatever the case may be, if the Lord wants you to come and pray at this altar, please do that. I'm here to pray with you or counsel you. Would you come as we sing, Let Jesus Come into your heart.